What's up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 81 of the Flip Screen Games Podcast, a weekly video game podcast. We're, sorry, I almost said three. Two buds, because Max is out this week. He's, he's, he's feeling sick. Wish him well. Uh, from different nations, come together to discuss the wide world of video games. I'm your host, Pete and Bessie, joined, as always, by my very good friend and co-host, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, Steve. Welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's good to be back. I wasn't on it last week. You had a good question block filled show. Uh, but <laughs> this week is now the- we've got no rooms for questions. Exact <laughs> inverse, right? Yeah, it's like this is nothing but news this week. <laughs> but uh, but you know what? That's all right. You know, it's 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 fun to bounce back and forth because we did get some really good questions for the question block this week. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to do another grab bag uh, on the show next week. Um, unless just as much stuff happens. We'll see how it plays out. But we've got a lot to talk about this week, including uh, a follow-up on a conversation we've had previously about the Xbox Series S potentially holding back the generation, or at least holding back the Xbox uh, generation. Uh, Paradox Interactive had a couple really big announcements we're excited to talk about, including Cities and Skylines 2 and Life by You, which is a... uh, you know, seem, seemingly a spiritual successor to The Sims. Very exciting. Uh, we got some conversation around IO Interactive's next game, uh, a, a Square Enix rock block. It's nuts. It's it's news all the way down this week. So let's just get into it. Uh, following up on the Series S of it all, uh, it was back in the headlines again this week, unfortunately, uh, with the news that Baldur's Gate 3 is not exclusive to ps5 according to uh larry and the developers of the game but the xbox version has run into technical issues and that's why it won't be launching um crazy so well we had the the announcement right Baldur's gate at the playstation event a couple of weeks ago me and max spoke about it and um at the end of that it went up on their twitter account and it only had the ps5 logo and there was a lot of speculation that oh They've gone down the exclusivity route with Sony. We even spoke about it on the podcast. It looked like it was going to be exclusive, but um, they went to their Reddit uh, subreddit and clarified it um, and put out a statement saying that they've had an Xbox version of Baldur's Gate 3 in development for some time. We've run into some technical issues in developing the Xbox port that have stopped us feeling 100% confident in announcing it until we're certain we found the right solutions. Specifically, we've been unable to get split-screen co-op to work to the same standard on Xbox Series X and S, which is a requirement for us to ship. Which echoes some of what we heard when we brought this up a couple you know, months ago now, I guess, on the podcast, where... Uh, there were a few developers who had expressed this concern that the uh, that the console was just not, you know, it, it it's fine for what it is, right? But it's not a truly next gen console in the way that the Series X and the PS5 are, and to expect yeah. uh, games to be able to, you know, run with you know some level of parity across them is probably an unreasonable ask, you know, and and it, even if it's possible, it's probably. Uh, cost prohibitive yeah so i think that was around the gotham knights release right we had that discussion from the developer that was talking on twitter about it and obviously that game came out with a number of problems even on pc and on xbox series x and on ps5 so i think people kind of took that with a grain of salt it was like oh you know right game came out and it was still a bit of a mess anyway so can we kind of believe that but this time around, it's different. It's not that it's just graphical parity and that we can't get it running at 60 frames per second and it's only running in a 30 frame per second mode, which I think was the issue with 
uh, with Gotham Knights. This time it's an actual feature. It's the split-screen co-op, which was a staple in their previous games, Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2. And they obviously want that to, to come here. Now, I, it's curious as to their wording, like the requirement for us to ship. I initially read it as like, oh, it's an, it's kind of an internal requirement that they're looking for. But it, having, having th- thought about it, it seems like it's probably a requirement from Microsoft side. It is that they require it to be like a, a feature parity. Yeah, yeah, it is, and that that was, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I think as you said, right? I think a lot of people kind of took the comments from, um, and I forget the name of the developer at the time because I believe it was a Rocksteady developer actually, and not someone who even worked on Gotham Knights, and they were just kind of making commentary oh, yeah, you might be right yeah you know i'm a little hazy on the story because it's, it's been a few months but um i recall uh him making that point right that it's like xbox requires the games to be you know equivalent essentially right it, you can't have like um like one of the examples that comes to mind for me is right i think back to the launch of the ps4 and uh dragon age inquisition when that came out i remember there were several features that were removed from the game uh, on the, you know, quote unquote, last gen versions, right? As like, a, hey, like this is the compromise for it to run on PS3 and Xbox 360. You know, these different features or these different, you know, modes or whatever um, won't be supported, right? And it seems as though Xbox has kind of made the mandate that if you're releasing a game on Series X, it also needs to run... Uh, on series s right and needs to be you know feature complete yeah and and obviously as to, you to said, some extent yeah like we have seen them say you can have a 60 hertz mode on right. xbox series x or a 120 hertz mode but you can run it at 30 frames per second but that's a lot we different, even saw right? with yeah we even saw with doom eternal that it got a uh a ray tracing mode on series x but it didn't on series s there's no ray tracing there but those are all graphical things right there's very much not uh oh there's a whole game mode that's not available like can you imagine if say uh hitman had released like hitman freelancer and it came to series x but it didn't come to series s for whatever reason i don't think they would have been able to do that and I think I think that is, you know, I guess even a more recent example, right, is the Horizon DLC, which will be coming to PS5, but will not be coming to PS4. Um, I, I think that they they don't want that to be the case, right, because they've sold the Series S as uh, being next gen. Yeah. And as being equivalent, right, as like, oh, like they are they are essentially the same, right? Like they can play all the same games. It's just, you know, one is more powerful. One runs better. It's faster. The frame rates are better. All that stuff. Right. Um, it, it's supposed to be a, you know, switch. Well, initially, it was to the Series S is. It was meant to initially be the Series S is fourteen forty forty p we're targeting, and then the Series X is we're targeting four k. I don't actually think we've really seen many native four k games on the Series X anyway, and it seems like True. the Series S mainly targets ten eighty p rather than fourteen forty p from at least from what most developers seem to be targeting. Maybe there's a little bit of dynamic resolution there that goes up to fourteen forty p at most. I just think it's such a shame that the Xbox is seemingly missing out on a really hot game that's coming out this year, that's coming to a competing platform, that's coming to PC, that's coming to cloud solutions, like they've spoken about it potentially coming to um, like the NVIDIA's cloud uh, streaming service GeForce Now, but it's not able to come to Xbox because Series S is potentially holding it back. And I don't know what the solution is there. Like, does Microsoft need to drop the requirements? But then does that open up like a can of worms where 
it's kind of free reign then for developers to just be like, okay, well, we're going to bin feature X, Y, and Z from the Series S version because it's too difficult for us to do and too cost prohibitive. And we're just going to release a game on Series X. And, that, and that's not a good solution for gamers who have bought into the next-gen promise that the Series S has, has been sold to them on. Yeah, I, I honestly, I think um, I think they've really put themselves in a corner. And I, you know, I remember being um, less bullish on the Series S at launch. Like I remember, like you when we when you and I were talking about it, you were like, I feel like this is like a real silver bullet for them, right? The fact that this thing is so cheap and it's it's basically the same price as a Switch, right? And you can get that really cheap entry point into the Xbox Live, uh, or not Xbox Live, uh, Xbox Game Pass uh, ecosystem, as well as having like a, a quote-unquote next-gen console, as long as you don't care about 4K, which many people don't, right? And like you said, a lot of games don't even target 4K natively anyway. If you want to have a 60 FPS mode, you're playing in 1080p anyway, um, in a lot of cases anyway. So I think... I, I remember kind of having that feeling of like, why would anyone buy this? Because you're going to hit a ceiling really quickly in terms of like the storage and you're going to have to make a further investment in it. But now that you have this kind of like problem that has emerged, right? Like only a few years into the generation, I don't know what they do because I think shy of offering some kind of upgrade system where they're like, we're going to discontinue the S and you can trade it in and get an X for, you know, a little bit more money or whatever, um, I, which they're not going to do. Right. Um, oh. And then that's why I say like, that's an outlandish thing that would never happen. I, I, uh, the only solution I could see is them saying that it runs on series S, but it's the cloud version in the same way that uh, sure. flight sim runs on Xbox one, but it's the cloud version that that's runs true. on Xbox one. Yeah. And and that would be a real shame if that's the case. Like, I don't want that to happen. I feel like maybe they just need to drop their requirements a little bit and say, you know, not every mode needs. So maybe it's a case by case basis. I don't know. And but I think the, you're right though. That opens of... such a can of worms marketing wise, right? Of like, then, yeah. then every time they release a game, it's like, Oh, well this is what the series S version is like. And this is what the series X version. It becomes a whole it, it it very much muddies the narrative that I think they've created for the Series S, right? Which is that I agree it's with just you, the yeah. cheaper one. Yeah, but I think the pro the the I guess like the, the thing that the Series S had for them is it brought them into new markets, right? We heard when they had that presentation at the Tokyo Game Show that the majority of people in Japan had bought into the Series S because it was that cheaper entry price point, gets you onto Game Pass, it gets you into the Xbox ecosystem for like what, two forty nine? And it's it is a really great price. And you look at the used market as well now. It's like you can get these so cheap, like under two hundred dollars. There was just a, a sale through Verizon that I remember uh, Mango shared over in our Discord, and it was like if you were if you were any kind of Verizon customer, you could buy one for like a hundred and fifty dollars. It's like what the heck? Like, it's insane. Give it absolutely away. insane. Yeah, <laughs> That's and you cheaper and, than you a know, switch. They usually. And you usually get then three months of Game Pass for a dollar. They're always doing that. You've got essentially for the price of, say, two games, two next gen games, you've got access to all of Game Pass and a console that you can do. You can go with, even if you wanted to just buy a new Xbox controller, right? And then toss away the console, like sell the console, but keep the controller. That's still a really good deal. $150. That's insane. Uh, but I really don't know what the, the solution is here. I really hope that. That Larry and either decides to ship a version of Baldur's Gate that doesn't have split screen co op, and they're just like, okay, we can't get that to work. It's got multiplayer online co op, and I just it, don't know you if... can play it single player. But 
I just I I really hope that they do release this game day and date with with the other platforms because people have been really excited. About I mean, this they game won't though, right? Early access. Like, I don't. It's not going to come day and date based on this. I, I the game's coming out soon. Based on this, but that's like Larian's requirements, right? Is that uh, they've been unable to get split screen co op working? But you can take out split screen co op and potentially it then you can you can ship it. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess they but could. Do they do want to com- do they want to compromise on what they want to do? Like, I don't know. That's like that's their choice, really. I, I think it's far more likely that they'll launch it on PS5, and then they will probably spend more development time getting an Xbox version running. Which I think also really like that stinks. You know, like that's a that's a a really unfair situation that like Xbox is basically you know. Um, to have your game come out on Xbox, it has to work on both of these. So now, like the the cost is put onto, you know, Larian and other developers where their games are struggling to run on Series S to make it, to just make a whole second version of it. You know, basically, um, that's not that's not great. And I think if I was um, a developer of like mid size like that, I would probably just eschew releasing your game on Xbox unless. It was coming to Game Pass, right? Because I think that would be the smarter move then is release it as uh, the move, right? I think for a lot of developers, I would think, right? If, if I was uh, making the business decision is let's go to Sony and get a one-year exclusive contract for it to release on PS5 first and, and PC. It's already on PC, right? So you still have a ton of players between you have the number one console platform and PC, that's a huge install base. And then you take one-year exclusivity, let Sony do a ton of marketing for you because they can hang a hat on the fact that they have this exclusive third-party game while in a year where they have less first-party releases. Then when that year exclusivity is up, you've spent all that time working out the kinks, trying to get it to work on Xbox, and then you go to Xbox and be like, all right, now let's negotiate a deal for it to be on Game Pass for a year. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be Final Fantasy's uh, approach, right? We saw, we'll talk about Final Fantasy 16 later on, and that it's not going to be on PC, even though they've only got six months exclusivity with PlayStation 5. And I think that was the first time anyone's ever revealed that they've got a six month exclusivity deal with PlayStation. Yeah. Usually these deals are just like, yeah, we're exclusive. And they don't ever tell you that it's timed and it's going to come later. It's just this exclusive. But I, when you think about it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, like Square did that to pretty good effect with Final Fantasy 15. Uh, if memory serves, it was like, I believe that the, the rollout was it came out on PS4 first as an exclusive and it got a bunch of hype and it was this big game that everybody paid attention to. It came out on Xbox and then it came out on PC later. And it, you, if you were in one of those other ecosystems and you were interested in it, you had heard about it. Maybe you get it when it comes to the new platform, right? Or or when it comes to your preferred platform um, and you, you get your game you know, past that kind of initial, that's a problem for a lot of single player games, right? It comes out, it gets the sales it's going to get. And then the only way to motivate people to get into it is to like put it on sale, right? Whereas if you release it on a new platform at a later date, it does kind of drum up new interest in it again, a new conversation around it again. So I think with Xbox, like I think that this is, this could be a real problem for them with, you know, uh, unless they're willing to shell out to get the games on Game Pass or to get an exclusivity or whatever, like, if it's just genuinely, or not even genuinely, uh, generally tougher to release a game on Xbox because you have to work with two SKUs, whereas with PlayStation, you're only working on the one, 
Like, why would you why would you spend extra money to make sure that you can launch on the third most popular console? Not a great look yeah, for them. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't, and I don't know what the solution is for Baldur's Gate three here. Uh, I hope that Larian find a way to release it in uh, August thirty first is when it's uh, due for for the one point release. Um, and they've said that they will they will announce other platforms. They're just not confident that they can hit yeah. that date yet, so they don't want to announce it. And it's like, okay, fair enough. I I respect that they didn't just announce that it's coming to Xbox, and then we're just like, shit, we actually can't make it, and then have to backtrack on that because that would have yeah. been really disappointing for this fans way- as well. Or this way, if they figure it out, they can be like, hey, it's coming. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And then they look, you know, they sort of look good. I think it was just the messaging and the announcement in Sony's uh, presentation and the fact that it only had the PlayStation 5 logo. It made people worried. And I can understand that because I was one of them. I was really disappointed that it wasn't coming to, to Xbox. I think I'm probably going to end up, now that it's not coming to Xbox, picking this game up on Steam and playing it on, on my Steam Deck because the... I think initially I was probably going to get it on Xbox and, and probably play through it with my brother. Yeah, um, I'm kind of but... disappointed. Um, I was hoping to play it on Xbox as well, just because that's generally my go-to for third-party stuff um, these days. Like, unless unless there is, like, an advantage on PlayStation, like, whether that's, like, a haptic interaction or it just runs better or whatever. Um, so I guess I'll be playing it on PS5 uh, unless I decide that I don't care. Because it's not, like, a super graphic-intensive game. So if it does run well on Steam Deck... Maybe I'll just pick it up over there so that we can play together, you know? Oh, but it's going to have cross-play, isn't it? I feel like it has cross-play at launch, maybe. Uh, uh, potentially. I don't know if they've announced that. I mean, I, I don't even know if I'm going to have time to play this at launch because I've got Diablo 4 coming out, like, just, I think it's a month prior to this. And it's just yeah. like, I know I'm going to be deep into Diablo. Resident Evil 4 is coming out at the end of this month. There's a lot of games coming. Um. And who knows when, like, the next game we're going to talk about, City Skylines 2 is going to come, because that's some, somehow coming in 2023, and no one saw it coming at all. I'm sorry, you just gave me a perfect transition, and I'm not going to lie to you, I was trying to read if Baldur's Gate 3 was cross-play, so I, I, that was, that's on me. That's on me, man. You know, I'm not going to sit here and try to, try to lie to you. Um, but yeah, so Cities and Skylines, that's where you got us to, is that, is, is that correct? <laughs> Yeah, city, cities, skylines too. Cities, skylines. We had an me. announcement. Yeah, we had an announcement <laughs> yesterday as of time of recording that it's uh, that it's coming. Surprise announcement at um, Paradox's kind of little update that they do. I can't remember what they call it. Uh, it's got new tools to build any kind of city that you can imagine. Follow its growth from a humble village to a bustling metropolis. Fully realized transport and economy systems and a wealth of construction and customization options. And they've said it's going to have advanced modding support at release, which I don't think City Skylines did. Oh. I think modding got added later. That's which actually is nice, really cool. So we'll be able to, to have the mods built in. And it looks like there's a, from the announcement trailer, it looks like there's a lot more of a focus on traffic and roads and like construction like that, which I really like. I like the transport aspect of it. Um, me and my partner sometimes watch uh, like videos of, of people kind of making advanced uh, traffic systems in Skylines. It's really realistic. It's uh, it's quite cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing more about this. Um, I don't think anyone saw a sequel coming for this game because it's it's still had such support from from Paradox and from um, just DLC after DLC after DLC for this game. But it's one of those games that is doing exactly what you said. Uh, it's coming to Game Pass day one. So I would imagine they got a, a big chunk of cash from, from Microsoft to bring this to Game Pass. Now, that is a win 
for, for Microsoft because this is a, a huge game. And not only is it Game Pass on Xbox, it's Game Pass on PC too. So that's nice. it potentially gets people to subscribe and, and download it on PC. Yeah, that's very cool. They, they've been doing a pretty good job of that anyway. Like uh, they just got Age of Empires 2, um, the remastered one is, is on there, and they were both day and date, I think, on both platforms as well, which was cool. Um, I haven't got a chance to play it yet, but yeah, it's, it's really nice. good. Mythology's coming, which I know is your know. Uh, it's your one. I'm so excited. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited about this too, though. Like I, I uh, am a big fan of of this type of game. Um, they're definitely something I played a lot when I was younger, and every once in a while, I'll boot one up, and it'll like really get its hooks in me. Um, it's been a while, though. You know, like I think the last the last time I really got into a game like this heavily was probably like back in college. You know, it's, it's been some time. Um, and I always was interested in City Skylines, but I just never never quite took the plunge. Um, so I feel like, ha- obviously, it being a game that was like still supported and everything, like I always could have, but I kind of like this being like a fresh jumping on point, you know? Yeah, and it looks like the graphics are going to be phenomenal. I would recommend checking out Cities. Um, I think it's on uh, Game Pass. It might not be anymore, but I think it I think, I think it, it was. Um or you can buy the whole City Skylines collection for the bargain price of two hundred and twenty-five dollars on Steam. So that's pretty good. If you want to pick up pick up all the DLC? Pretty good. Two hundred twenty-five dollars. Two hundred twenty-five dollars. Not too bad. Um, but you know what? I like maybe I will. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll take the plunge. But I feel like I might run the risk of like that thing that I feel like we all do when a new game's coming out and you're like, let me go play the old one. And then you're like, I've kind of had my fill. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need the new one. Now. Yeah. That's why I haven't done that with breath of the wild. Cause I was yeah. like eager to play breath Same. of the wild again. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm not going to go back and do that. Cause I know when tears of the kingdom comes out, I'm going to be fatigued by that style. And I really want to play. I want to be hungry be for fresh it. And like enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, kind of where I I'm am. at with this. So- just- There's so much coming out in the next few months. It's insane. I know, like, dude. Honestly, insane. Even right now, there's like new stuff coming out, and I'm like struggling to keep up with it, you know. Um, so I've been busy myself yeah, anyway. But Hitman Freelance has had its hooks in me. I've not stopped playing that game. I love it. <laughs> but I think I think I'm gonna make an argument that that's one of my games of the year, even though it's a new mode to an old game. I'm making an argument that, that is going on my game of the year list. I'm excited to have that conversation later because I feel like that that is a conversation that is like worth having as games like continue to you know exist for yeah, years and I, years and years right like like imagine if you picked up the new destiny dlc like that essentially is a new game that's got yeah. new story it's got new modes it's got new everything in there i think you can make the argument that that is one of your favorite games of the year same with world of warcraft dlc it's like an ongoing game but it's one of your favorite things you've played i mean at least we make our own rules here so we can we can say whatever we want <laughs> yeah i know the steam deck almost made it on the list this year <laughs> <laughs> i'm venting yours next year you're doing you're out here doing crazy shit you came out you're like my number 10 game is a game that came out last year i almost said a console it's like you're just cheating i know you played <laughs> real video games you're like <laughs> hey wordle deserved to be on the list and if ever if, if people haven't gone to listen to our game of the year uh discussion i think it's worth worthwhile just for for that i think wordle deserves to be on the list you're crazy, man, but I love you. Uh, so the other game that they announced is one I'm also very interested in. Um, this is It's called Life by You. Uh, this is a new game from Rod Humble, who is the former head of The Sims and uh, the CEO of Second Life Studio, Linden Labs. 
Uh, this is going to be uh, the first game from a new studio at Paradox uh, that's called Paradox Tectonic. And uh, Humble said that their goal is to create open, fun, beautiful games which represent, which respect the player's intelligence and enables their creativity, freedom, emotion, and sharing. And then they also promised that there would be another event uh, in at the end of March, March 20th, is going to be the next time we'll see more of uh, Life by You. The the first thing we saw was just a very short teaser. Uh, I'll be I'm playing it for for you YouTube kids now, um, but I mean it's the same. Oh, yeah, but right? there's enough in there to get you hungry for it, especially yeah. when it gets to for me. It was like at the twenty second mark when it goes into showing the house plot and the build mode and like all of the tools you potentially got and the fact that the that if this follows the the developers lead with what they've done with cities and having like mod support at launch. Can you imagine the shit you're going to be able to build and create and decorate in this game? I'm so excited about that because the build mode for me was one of my favorite aspects of The Sims. I used to just cheat, get loads of money, and then oh, build yeah. my dream houses. For sure. Yeah, you do it was a rosebud, you know? You yep. <laughs> out there and you, you start spamming. And then, like, it were, the, the comma, semicolon, comma, semicolon, I used to get loads of it. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think this is very interesting because, like, I you, you talked about City Skylines, right? And, like, how it was such a big indie success and it was, like, a perfect, uh, you know, it, it, I, I think the most famous example of this is Stardew Valley. So I always want to say it's Stardew Valleyed this other thing. But obviously, Stardew, not the first to do it. I just think probably one of the best, you know, and most recognizable examples. Um, from now on, yeah, you know what, Steve? I'm, I'm going to coin the cities term. Came out, cities came out first, right? I think it did. I think it did. Yeah. yeah. And but I'm going to coin the term right now and we're going to we're going to call it the 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 Stardew Valley effect. You know, it's it's the spiritual okay. success. Yeah, yeah. Right for a game that no longer uh is made by the original publisher or or developer or what have you. Cuz like SimCity yeah, I mean in this in this case the Sims like they do make still they make do. that game and it recently and they recently went free to play and they added like more inclusive options in there which I thought was really cool like scars and things that's and I I loved that but this kind of got a bit stale and I know people were a little bit disappointed with the latest packs that they put out the latest DLC packs and it was just like oh you get like a a hair dryer and some new furniture and you can give us like ten ten dollars for it I kind of think people are hungry for a shift back to what The Sims originally was and going back to that more fo that like focus on a simpler gameplay. I think that's what's so interesting about it, right? Is like with City Skylines, it was like SimCity, the last SimCity, right, came out and was, you know, a very public uh, misstep in a lot of ways, right? And, and it kind of... Uh, fell into obscurity right and it was supposed to be this big comeback for that brand and it just wasn't and that left the door open for city skylines to come in and and you know be its own thing right and we've we've seen planet coaster do, do, do the you, same thing do you remember when it's the Zoo. very last tim that he was it was well, the, i remember it. i remember planet yeah it was the one that was always online and it came out in like 2000 oh no they did one after that that was really? a mobile it was a mobile only sim city oh game. And and it was it was horrendous. Okay. Absolutely fucking horrendous. It was free to play. It was dreadful. I absolutely hated it. Apparently it was the most played SimCity game ever, which is not difficult when it's free and you yeah. download it, right? And yeah. it has like pop up ads all over the place. It was not great. Not not a great experience. That's so, that's so disappointing. 
Um, but I, I think it's interesting to see them kind of do this now with The Sims, like you said, which is definitely not a dead franchise. And like we know that there's, you know, um, there's still an active player base there. There is plans for another one. You know, it's a it's a it's still a healthy series. But I think having like a, a fun new indie alternative to it is something that I think is going to be really interesting to see. And, and you know, obviously, I think there's a lot of potential there, right? Not only just to like do something different or, you know, evolve the formula a little bit, but I mean, like maybe to create some competition, right? And like push, you know, EA's uh, team at Maxis and everything to, um, is it still Maxis or is it a new studio now? It is still Maxis. Okay, yeah, yeah. it is. They re- resurrected it. Um, I, 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 that'd be cool. You know, it would be, it would be nice to see that. And, and who knows, right? Like maybe, maybe this is, uh, maybe life by you could, could have, it's like Fortnite moment where it comes out and becomes the new Coke. Right. And like, is like, Oh, this is the hot thing now. Like this is, this is the, cause like there's so many people that play Stardew that like probably don't even know about Harvest Moon. Right. Cause Harvest oh, yeah, 100%. it's been so dead for people, so yeah. long. Right. Yeah. Like. So I don't yeah, know. Ab- absolutely, I, I, I'm really, I'm so, I'm beyond excited about this game. But like, it was just me too. The fact that it's just a tiny little tease, and like, it feels like nobody's talking about it really. I just, I think March 20th is going to be really exciting to see what they actually unveil because there's so many little tidbits in the trailer that just look so exciting from the build mode, from the relationships, from like the beach, the car, like going to work and stuff. There's a lot in here that just it brings back those memories of playing The Sims and The Sims 2 when I was a kid and absolutely falling in love with that game. And I know that I'm probably going to fall in love with this. And it makes me wonder if they can make City Skylines a success and they can make the um, the, the kind of spiritual successor to The Sims with Life by You. Like what else can what else is kind of ripe for the picking for Paradox to kind of take over? Because it feels like they're kind of the masters of um, these kind of sim games, really. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's an interesting question because I feel like a lot of the, the games that immediately spring to mind for me are ones that I feel like there already is something, right? Like, thinking in this vein, right? Like, I think of Roller Coaster Tycoon, Zoo Tycoon. Obviously, we have Planet Coaster. We have Planet Zoo there. Um, they could always throw their hat in the ring, I guess. But, um, you know, they, they do do a lot of, like, strategy, you know, type games and stuff like that. I I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe like, um, maybe, like, a return to, like, a proper, a, a more traditional RTS. You know, like, obviously, we do have, like, the age stuff. But, like, I think of, like, like what Blizzard used to do with stuff like Warcraft and, and StarCraft and, you know, obviously... Starcraft 2 still exists, but it's certainly not relevant in the way it used to be, you know? And I think part of that is that gaming has kind of, you know, like, that that genre has is less popular than it used to be and less dominant than it used to be. But I also think that Blizzard just, because of Activision Blizzard being the company that it is and Blizzard being a part of this very, very huge uh, bottom line profit motivated company where like they put out something like crash and and spyro and tony hawk and their big successes critically and they make a bunch of money and they still close the studio down is there room for yeah. a niche rts like starcraft to thrive there probably not but at like a paradox interactive where like that's their whole bread and butter that might be that might be the way you know like that that might be i a- could see that 
it, it feels like the only other studio doing this kind of game is Relic, um, the yeah. creative of uh, Company Heroes uh, that did Age of Empires Four. Um, if they, they've got, they they were the ones making the, those like Warhammer Forty K games. So I wonder if potentially they could they could resurrect it. Maybe maybe Paradox. I know they've got um, Surviving Mars. They published that game. Potentially they could do something like a StarCraft, which would be really cool. But I love these those kind of base building games and and stuff like Tropico, things like that. I always I've Me always too. really enjoyed those. Um, and I love The Sims. So the fact that they they uh, kind of Two of those coming out with Sea Skylines and um, Life by You is just, yeah, really exciting uh, to see. And who knows when Life by You is coming out, but the fact that we're getting a new City Skylines in 2023 and it's coming to Game Pass day and date, that's a, a real win for me. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time for fans of the genre. You know, I think um, there's obviously been a bit of a lull there for a while and like you get the odd you know, something like Tropico that does still come out and really hit, but um, you don't get them as much as you used to. So definitely a cool, uh, cool to see some more, some more stuff like this. And I think Life by You is something that could, could really be disruptive in an interesting way. You know, I hate to use that term that way, but um, you know, it, it could be, this could be uh, an opportunity to take a shot at the King, which is always exciting. All right, so we got some more stuff to talk about in a minute, but before that, let me remind you that this episode of the Flip Screen Games podcast is brought to you by our Patreon producers for the month of February. They are, of course, Arnold J. Rimmer, Christopher Valenz, Earth Visitor, Gabriel Hasselmeyer, a.k.a. Asobi, Wakahula, Snackago, and Ty the Dude. Thank you all so much for your support over on Patreon.com slash Flip Screen Games. You're all the reals to the real, and we greatly appreciate your support of this and all of our sister shows. If you want to go become a Patreon producer or find a link to one of those sister shows that I just mentioned, make sure you get head over to flipscreen.games. That's our website where you can find all the places that we are all over the web, uh, all the ways that you can get involved, show your support right into the show. Uh, however you choose to do so, we appreciate you tuning into this week's episode of the Flipscreen Games podcast. Steve, this next one I'm going to throw to you because IO Interactive has a new game in development currently called Project Fantasy. Doubt that's the final name. They have thrown out the bat signal <laughs> looking for, for new talent on this game. You are obviously a huge IO Interactive fan. You just talked about how you're going to lobby for a Hitman DLC to be, your, to be one of your games of the year. So hit me with this. What's, what's the news? How excited are you about it? Oh, I'm, I'm through the roof excited about it. It's a real departure from them because obviously they've, they've worked on Hitman now for a, over a decade. Um, and we, yeah, we wow. know they're working on a on a James Bond game, um, so that's probably going to be pretty similar in style to a Hitman. It's James Bond with guns, and you go around shooting. But the fact that they're now shifting and building something fresh, something new, they said that they are now sharing with all of you that we're embarking on a new adventure, one that expands our creativity, our capabilities, and in some sense, our identity. We're building a new world, a new IP, and a, an online fantasy RPG. Whether that remains to be seen, what they mean by an online fa fantasy RPG, whether this is uh, like an MMO style thing, whether this is like party based, we obviously don't know very much at the moment. They shared a little bit of concept art, which looks really, really cool. Um, it looks like it follows some of the the typical kind of D and D style characters that you you come to know and love. Oh, um, but yeah. they're hiring for but everyone, right? Also, a mount that's a 
freaking elephant, so I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> it looks it looks really, really cool. Uh, and I'm excited just to, to kind of see where it goes. I think this is probably, what, like a 2025, 2026 game at the earliest. Yeah, I, I mean, the fact that we've probably got James Bond first. Yeah. And moving on to this. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if we saw this even close to before then especially if it is like an online kind of game um like you like you suggested uh, those kinds of games take a long time to develop you know I, I i wouldn't necessarily be surprised if uh maybe this is further out and again the only reason we're hearing about it so early is because they need talent um but that's fine you know like yeah, that was the same reason that they announced uh project 007 it was the same deal um io interactive is currently recruiting elite talent from around the world is what they said when they announced project 007 so they want people to come and work there uh and that's a trend that we've seen all over right we saw rare doing it for their new game we saw um we saw blizzard doing it for for a new game over there a new ip over there uh i think we've seen bungie do it there's a lot of people doing this um I think even Retro Studios were were kind of advertising and saying, come and work on something fresh, or maybe it was Monolith. Um, and nobody can seemingly get people to come and work for them. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why there's such a shortage of talent in the industry and what, peop- what, what can be done to solve it. I mean, you know, I, I, there's a lot of factors at play, right? Like, I mean, I, I think um, I, I don't want to get, you know, too morbid or dark or anything, right? But I mean, there is the reality that a lot of people have died in the last several years, right? Um, some of them are game developers, so that doesn't help. Um, but I also think like going into a recession, you know, people are less likely to, I think, enter fields that they see as volatile. And Jason Schreier wrote an entire book about how volatile the games industry is. It's tough to survive in game dev. And, uh, you know, I know we've talked a lot about how a lot of the people that are in game development, like you're in it because of passion, right? And because you love making art, right? You want to be an artist. Um, so many of them could leave and go to a Silicon Valley company and make a lot more money and have more job stability. And and a lot of them do. And I think going into a recession, you're probably going to see more likelihood of that as we see layoffs and things like that, um, that you will see people who are like, well, forget it then. You know, um, if the industry doesn't want me, right, or then I don't. I'm not going to fight to be a part of it. Um, and I think what you, what you hope, right? The answer is to, to, to your question is um, you see more flexibility, you see better pay, you see more work from home opportunities. I think the industry needs to evolve the way that it, it pays people. And I think for some of these companies, that's going to mean paying your CEOs and your C-level executives a little less than their bonus. And, you know, like not uh, worrying about status in that way. Because I don't think that the video game industry is really supports that all that well. Because games are not as volatile as a lot of other entertainment industries. Like um, when it comes to you know re- recession and things like that, right? Like people still buy video games because they're a pretty good ROI. But you know, it's at some point like games are getting more and more expensive to produce, and you can't charge more for them. So at some point, something's got to give, and if that is profit margins for you know the bobby codex of the world right like okay like i don't know that we need them in game dev honestly like we don't need to attract these huge you know um c-level executives with these huge well, status symbol is, is working on microsoft's working on where wiping them all out just by buying everyone right and then they've just got phil spencer at the top and that's it yeah 
<laughs> right. I think it's Todd Howard's there as well, but at least yeah, he kind yeah, of feels a bit different to, to Bobby, right? He's he's kind of actually in the weeds making games. At least it feels like anyway. I think it's how always, true that is. I don't know. I agree. Uh, I I think it's always important to not get sucked into like the idea of corporate heroes, right? Like Phil Spencer is a businessman. Um, he's not an artist. He's not a game developer. But I believe that he is a a gamer. He plays games and he likes games and he gives a shit about the health of video games as an industry because he engages with the art form, right? And I think that I believe that that's different. I really do. You know, um, I think that there is a big difference between being somebody who is involved in the in the industry because you love it and. Even if you're like, I think of even somebody like Reggie, right? Like Reggie was not a game developer. He was not an artist, but he loved video games and he loved playing Nintendo games before he worked there. And I think that that does make a difference, like in the way that you treat IP and the way that you treat people that make games and the way that you think about the industry and the culture of video games, because you're a part of it, right? And that obviously you're going to have a different relationship to it than somebody who's just there because... This was the next. Tra- this was the next move on their trajectory as a CEO, and what they're passionate about is business and making money. And obviously, I'm not a fan of that. But even you know, like if that's what your bag is, fine. But I don't want you running a, a an art house. Like that's what video game publishers are supposed to be. You know, at least in my opinion. Yeah, the electronic arts. Yeah, there you go. But I mean, again, right? I think all of the, the, the changes we've seen at EA over the last couple of years have been as game developers have become the, the, the C executives, right? It's been when Zin- Vince Zampella got a spot on the board is when you saw changes. And that's because he's a fucking game developer. <laughs> yeah, 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 potentially. I mean, I, I, I know it, start, it started by people making games and then obviously Trip left to... Uh, and make the 3DO, which was not great. So I, I feel like Rip. even even game devs can can um, fall from. Places. Oh yeah, of course. I'm not sitting here saying that they're all you know perfect angels or whatever, but I think that's a better baseline than somebody who yeah. became the head of a company because that was the best option they had to make another million or billion dollars, right? Like that's uh, that's just you know that's just one man's opinion. Um, yeah, I, I was reading how Bobby became CEO of Activision. He became at CEO of Activision in 1991 because he purchased a company stake the previous year. That was it. He had money, so he bought himself the seat. <laughs> it's like that's not that's not great, you know. I think I think there's a <laughs> wide berth between him and a Phil Spencer, or like him and like you know a better example of like you know probably like a satora owada right who was a actual programmer before he was the he was in the trenches making games right so like he knows what that means he knows what it means yeah. to cut people i think that makes i think that does make a difference to some degree you know i i could agree i could agree with that but like reggie didn't come from from games right no nope. came from he was a businessman business yep. yeah but but again, I and think he did, he, he did a good job. I think the difference there is again, though, he plays video games, right? Like if you you know, I know you read his book as well, right? There's a whole chapter of while he was working at, I think it was at Pizza Hut or whatever. It was like he was staying up every night playing The Legend of Zelda, right? And then it was like that was a thing that he had always been drawn to, and he loved playing games. And I think you know, I I think being somebody who actually is involved, you know, like, and I think that applies in any capacity, right? Like. 
if if you're in movies, right? Like I I want the person who's leading the film company to love film and want the goal of the company to be to make exciting, innovative art that also makes money, right? Like I get it. It's profit has to. We live in a capitalistic society. Businesses need revenue. Um, So you need people like Reggie to some degree to keep the lights on. But I think if they are somebody who cares about the product more and and the audience and the relationship that you build with your your customer base over generations, I think that that does make a difference, right? Because you've been on the other side of that. You have that attachment to Zelda. So yeah, you want it to sell well because that's your job, but also like, you want it to be a good game because you are excited to play it. I think that I think that matters. Yeah, I I do too. What do you think about someone becoming uh, president of a company who likes scouting for new and disruptive technologies, including the blockchain or Web three point Do you think they would be a really good fit for a, a gaming company? <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I don't think that they would be a good fit uh, as the head of a gaming company, and I think. That is exactly why President uh, Yosuke Matsuda is uh, is going to be replaced at One Square Enix. Um, not not particularly surprising there, I think, given uh, some of their recent challenges. I don't. No, I don't think that is the case, though, because like if you look at his replacement, uh, Takashi Kiru, he's the one that is that was focused on scouting of new and disruptive technologies <gasps> no! and blockchain oh, and web no! 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he. That's what he originally came from. He oh, no. um, he came from the Dentsu Innovation Initiative, which was an R and D organization before he joined Square Enix in 2020 mm. as general manager of its corporate planning division. Uh, and it looks like none of their plans are changing. Um, Square Enix said um, as as they announced the departure of or the desired departure of Mas- Masuda because he's definitely being fired. Um, they said, under the rapid change of the business environment surrounding the entertainment industry, the proposed change is intended to reshape the management team and the goal of adopting ever-evolving technological innovations and maximizing the creativity of the company's group in order to deliver even greater entertainment to its customers around the world, which is very much what they were planning on doing with blockchain and NFTs and all of that bollocks. That oh, cares about. no. Oh, boy. That's so at first glance seemed like great, right? Cause, yeah, yeah, cause totally. It's all about NFTs and like sell it. Let's sell off the Western studios and we'll invest all that money in the blockchain and Bitcoin and all of this this stuff. And then actually, it just looks like his replacement is going to do the exact same thing. Um, so, so then, what's the motivation? Yeah, it's really disappointing to replace him. Then, I think the it? motivation is probably related to the fact that they've had a lot of flops. A lot of bad business decisions with Luminous Productions yeah. being spun out on its own and then having to come back in because because Forspoken was just a disaster. And think, they've just not been doing well. I feel like that's even like a not a great business decision to go through the effort of spinning a studio out and then they have one failure and you're like, forget it. You know, it's like, really? Like, you're not like restructured, like anything like, OK, like that just feels like, I don't know, maybe that's sunk cost fallacy in my mind, right? Where like, I'm, I'm overestimating the value of that studio. Um, but yeah, I mean, well, the studio was initially not even a studio, right? It was, uh, they developed a game engine. They developed the Luminous uh, yeah, engine the Luminous and engine. that was their, that was their purpose. And then they made Final Fantasy 15 with that and then wanted to develop their own thing, wanted to do their own unique individual IP, which was what Forspoken was. And it just obviously didn't, 
do very well. Um, so they had 150 employees when they got merged back into to Square Enix. Whether they stay as their own team and they go back to being one of the business divisions of Square Enix, or whether it gets disbanded, which would be what my guess would be for, for Luminous, is that it's gone. We don't see another Luminous Engine game because um, the next Final Fantasy is not using it. And it kind of goes by the wayside. And that's the end of Luminous. That's the end of the Luminous Engine. We use, um, they'll probably use Unreal moving forwards, and that'll be it. I think that's probably true. You know, it's like, I feel like the the, the business of developing engines is um, tricky. And I think for a, a company of Square Enix's size, like they're probably not interested in doing it anymore. You know, um, I, I wouldn't be. So I feel like more and more people are moving to Unreal, yeah. which is scary. I don't want to get to a point where Unreal is like the the only engine, you know, um, that's obviously but it's Unreal or Unity. And yeah. like Unity's not been making some great decisions over there with like the purchasing of the ad company and like working with defense contracts and stuff. Like there's some dangerous stuff going on over there as well. Yeah. It's like you've got really kind of two solutions. I mean, I know uh, like people like IO use their own in-house engine. They're not the only ones. Obviously, Sony's yeah. got their own stuff. Right. Like, um, um like, uh, oh my God, Horizons engine. Decima engine. The Decima you've got, engine. And then you've yeah. got the, the stuff that Naughty Dog use. They, they use their own in-house engine. Um, I, I I think um, Nintendo used some of their own engines for some of their games as well. But I mean, it's um, like even just recently, right? Like we had the um, the news that like Halo is going to be moving over to Unreal, right? And they they had their own proprietary engine that they had been using yeah. for a long time, and now they're going to switch over. You know, it's yeah, yeah, the, like um, the Red Engine that was used for Cyberpunk, The Witcher, all of those games. That's now gone. The next yeah. Witcher will be Unreal. That's we'll true. Be, we'll be Unreal Engine Five, so that's a real shame as well. CD Projects bend off their own their own engine which uh it's so good it's about decades and i guess there's frostbite still at ea right but even that like they're moving away from that they had even that they're using unreal because yeah. they used unreal in all of the respawn games and uh the mass effect um trilogy remaster was done in unreal and then the new the new bioware games I, I believe are also being made in unreal um which i don't know it's like it's tough because i think you know you read uh press um, not press reset. It's uh, blood, sweat, and pixels, and there's a lot of conversation about engines in um in the chapter about Dragon Age Inquisition and how so much of that game struggle came from using a proprietary engine that had yeah, like shoehorning it into to one that was designed for an FPS. Yeah, and and like I remember one of the I remember a direct quote being that it had like sharp edges, you know, and it was like very like unfriendly. And uh, and then you hear similar things where it's like Halo Infinite, right? Like part of the struggle of it not being able to keep up with the roadmap that people wanted um, was the engine. And that there are apparently, you know, according to a report by Jason as well, uh, entire game modes that are like basically developed, but they just don't quite work because of challenges with the engine. And, you know, I think as much as I'm deathly afraid of video games moving towards the Hollywood model of like having these monopolies there is with engines, there is an advantage of everyone using the same engine, right? If everyone's on unreal, the more people that use it, the more resources there are for troubleshooting, the more uh, your knowledge from working on one game will then apply to another one. When you go to another studio, you don't have to re reinvent the wheel every time. I'm not saying that like, that's what we should shoot for, but I also understand why so many of these companies, especially more independent like middle tier uh you know like tr pe 
uh, developers, publishers that are still triple A, but that are not on the size of a Sony or a Microsoft or a Nintendo. Um, I get why they don't want to invest a ton of money in making their own engines. And then like you look at, um, at Forspoken and like it had, it had challenges at launch, right? Where like it didn't run super well. And like people complained about some of the visuals and that there are like certain elements that are beautiful. And then other things that look kind of rough, you know? And, and I, yeah, but then you look. I look at say Sony's games where they have put the the time and the effort and the investment in, and they've been able to license out Decima to other yeah. studios. And I um, part of me wonders was Luminous rolled out to its own company to do that to yeah. develop the Luminous engine and license it out because I don't like one company controlling the majority of games. No, and, and it is that way now. Is that? It is that way, and Tencent owns forty percent of Epic Games, and so at some point they're probably going to buy the rest of it if Tim Sweeney will sell it to them. And I would imagine that's probably his exit plan: is I'm going to retire here, buy the company, and it's worth billions. And um, I, I just don't want one company controlling every single game and just being able to say, right, we're ramping up the licensing costs now that you're all hooked on Unreal, and none of you can afford it. Yeah, and it's like tough shit, basically, because what are you going to do? Because you don't have your own engine anymore. You're not working on anything. What's the alternative? Unity. Well, that's a different tool set. I, you know, so I think I think the one, and you're right, that is a very serious concern. And that's exactly why you don't want to see that. But I guess what would probably happen at that point, right, is like these companies would reinvest in making engines again, I guess. You know? Yeah, but how long does that take? Like, how, do you start from square one again? But I mean, like, that's the problem with a lot of these engines anyway, right? The proprietary ones will be that they, they go for too long without being updated, whereas, like, Unreal gets a new version every couple of years, right? Like, um, the, the, the conversation around, and I, I wish I could remember the name of this engine, but the, the engine that they use to make Halo Infinite, um, like, I remember Jason characterized it as being, like, built on code that is, like, a lot of it is from the 90s and the early aughts, and it's, like, Okay, right? Like, that's probably antiquated. Like, they probably needed a 2.0 of that, you know? Um, and I, I guess that's that would be the thing, would be, you know, you either go to you go to one of the other very limited number of games in town, or you bite the bullet, you pay the increased licensing costs, and then you make your own engine so you don't have to deal with it again. You know? Yeah. I, I, I do wonder if at, what, at some point Microsoft tries this, though. And they go, right, let's make our own engine that goes across the board. They own Bethesda. They could ro roll out creation and say, right, let's use this for our open world titles because it's fit for it. Looks like it's had a huge boost and a huge update for Starfield. And potentially that could be used by Obsidian to build their next game. Like, let's make Avowed 2, because I'm sure Avowed is too far down the line to switch engines. Let's make Avowed 2 in creation and we can save... On licensing costs, we don't have to pay for games three. anymore. Yeah, Outer Worlds 3. Let's move that to the creation engine too. And let's have everything in like one engine that we control, which was EA's plan, right? That's why they wanted Frostbite. It was going to be shared across all the It was a good years. idea in theory. It was just not the right engine for it. I think they should have built a new engine from the ground up with that intention rather than be like, let's shoehorn our third person open world action adventure rpg game into a first person shooter you know uh tool set like i i remember when they announced it 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 sounded like oh this is actually a pretty good idea right you share resources like it 
that's how you build you know the the library that unreal has and that's why it's so useful and yeah it's like you, you wish right like you'd wish that everybody um would have that thought but i guess it's the thing of like investing in that in that technology and then over relying on it to the point where it's antiquated and then it is like an uphill battle of like well what do we do do we invest another you know huge chunk of money to make another iteration of this engine where does that money come from you know whereas like obviously for epic it's easy right like that was a huge part of their business model forever and then now like they print money with fortnite and like they can invest dozens of you know and then they do and then they dog food the hell out of their engine with fortnite because they're using it to to they're using unreal to build fortnite so they can try out nanite and lumen and use that as their kind of test ground and figure out what challenges they've got with their own internal developers and you know valve was doing that for a while with source and and building out their own games but they said i would stop love making games for a while but we need like a source three that would be awesome. And like I think that's the thing. That will be the solution, right? Is it, there will come a time probably where Epic is so dominant that another company like Valve is like it's time for us to come up with a new alternative for people again. I think. You know, and I hope so. Maybe that's what I'd thinking. love to see that. But I, I feel like that is the natural reality is I think right now especially during this, you know, recession, um we'll see a lot of people probably shift towards Unreal. Because it's cheap and it's easy to use and everybody knows how to use it. And while there's a talent drain right now in the industry, you want people to be able to come in and slot into the project as easily as possible. It it makes sense. And I bet a couple of years from now, right, when hopefully things turn around and, you know, we're back in a point where there's more money flowing in the industry, um, maybe that that'll change and it'll, it'll decentralize around it again. But um, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe I'm being naive on this one, uh, <laughs> and and we will hit that point sooner than later. But I don't know. I guess there's also an argument to be made that even if they did become a monopoly, um, do they want to increase the licenses to the point where they're not, or is it just profitable enough to be the only game in town? You know, because like you think about Adobe, right, and how they were a de facto thing for a long time, and now there's all these competitors coming up, and they have to buy yeah, them but up, Adobe and they have complacent. to. Yeah, like I feel like they weren't innovating on what they had. They were just like, "Oh, we're the standard. We don't need to do anything." It feels like Epic still does innovate, still and push I, the technology forward. And I think that's the thing. As long as they continue to do that, and if they don't like jack up licenses and everything, they'll make money hand over fist. They don't need to be exploitive if they are truly the best solution. You know, um, that's why everybody will move over because it's cheaper and it's easier and it's better. Like. And I'm, again, never trust a corporation. I'm not saying that they wouldn't do that. It would be extremely logical for them to do that uh, once they are on top. But I don't know. You know, it's it's a complex situation. And you know, you hope it doesn't come to that, I guess, is is the bottom line here. But it yeah, is a shame. I hope so. It is a shame to see this engine feel like it's probably going to get shuttered before it ever really had a chance. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the amount they're going to make? Like Unreal Engine Five. Once you've made a million dollars, um, you have to pay five percent of gross revenues to Epic for all of your games. Like that's so much money if everyone shifts yeah. to Unreal. And that's the thing, right? Is like, do you rock that boat, or do you just keep 
converting more just and more. Going, yeah, it's like, oh, let's keep investing some of this cash and pocket in the rest. And, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, rather, because then, then the 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 strategy, the business strategy there is not to corner a market and exploit it. It's to corner a market and then keep cornering it, right? And just make it so that like, because there are new studios all the time, right? There's constantly new people you can sell your technology to. And if it becomes de facto, then that's like, that's getting, you know. It's like the Android model, right? It's yeah, like exactly. We have became the dominant op- mobile operating system and every, everyone that makes a phone that's not Apple. Well, they're chucking Android on it, so and they didn't right. Well, the, we get money, yeah. And they didn't do that, and then like make it uh, cost prohibitive for you to license Android, right? They tried to. It's like no, everyone should just use it. You can, yo, you're not, you're not using, yeah, use it here. It's free. Use it. Take it. It's three dollars free. But then if you want the Google stuff, you've got to pay them. Yeah, which is the stuff you really want because you want the Google Store, you want Gmail on there. People that buy an Android phone, they expect to be able to use Google stuff with it. They become used to it. Yeah, and like then you pay for it. And and it's and it's worth the exchange for both parties. And like, if Epic can do that with this and make it where it's just like, yeah, like I mean, everyone uses Unreal, and any any game that's a moderate success, we see a couple million dollars just for licensing out a thing we were gonna make anyway. Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see what happens with with them. It's crazy, um, man. I do think it's a real shame that we're seeing the death of yet another engine. Um, Final Fantasy 15 seemed to look great, right? And I just don't know what happened when it came to Forspoken, and it just really just didn't live up to expectations visually, performance-wise. Just people didn't like the game. Just, I feel like it just had a lot of problems, you know. And it's yeah, like, despite that, issues. it did have redeeming qualities. I think even people who are critical of it, like there were things about it people thought were cool, and it's a shame. I know, and I feel, I feel like they probably could have fixed a lot of it with a sequel in the same way that Octopath Traveler Two seemingly has fixed all of the issues that everyone had with Octopath Traveler. Yeah. Uh, you know, so much so Jason Schreier was calling it like uh, the Elden Ring of JRPGs in sure. his newsletter. Well, again, you, you think about stuff like the jump from like Assassin's Creed to Assassin's Creed 2. Like, it happens a lot. And I'm not saying that maybe Forspoken is like that has to be, you know, you make a Forspoken 2. Maybe not, but maybe you just let them get another at bat, you know, um, bring on some more talent that's a little more experienced. And, you know, I don't know. But, well, they got the, the they got the DLC that's coming out this summer. Maybe that can fix a bunch of problems. But I feel like it's too, it's late, too late at this point. The yeah, decision's they're gone. been made. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, R.I.P. C'est la vie. So that's not the uh, <laughs> the end of of the headlines though from Square uh, this past week. Uh, on the you alluded to this part earlier. Um, on on the the you know, keeping the Final Fantasy train rolling. Um, Final Fantasy 16 made some some headlines this month because basically uh, the head of the studio came out to say, first of all, I would be happy if you could play the PS5 version, which I made with the thought of being the best game in the world. If the PC version comes out in half a year, I can quit the company. Laughs. Please don't say I won't buy the PS5 version because the PC version will be released in half a year. And essentially that was part of a broader uh conversation where you know i'm paraphrasing here but he said we don't start working on the pc version until the ps5 version ships so like it's not coming in six months it's coming you know down the line and i mean that's consistent that's exactly what happened with final fantasy 15 um i'm not surprised by that Uh, yeah it's interesting though that like they had the six month exclusivity with with sony yeah 
like they could have just said, "Well, we'll give you twelve months." Just give right? Like, why not? <laughs> and then, like, yeah, sure. Then we'll we'll just carry on with the PC version. He made another remark, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Um, this guy, like uh, Yoshida, is just classic. I don't know how he gets away with making these remarks. He said, "Final Fantasy 16 won't be delayed unless a meteor falls on Japan." <laughs> and <laughs> he's like, what? He's such a wacky dude. <laughs> Uh, so I, I want to clarify something I said earlier. I believe I said that the, that with um, Final, Fantasy, Final Fantasy 15, I think I said earlier that it came to PlayStation and then Xbox. It was actually released on both of them, it seems, on November 29th. But then it came to Windows two years later, March 6, 2018. Yeah, and, and it seems to have a real stronghold of fans over there now. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been very successful on PC. Um, and I, I think the same thing happened. It was a similar timeline um, between it and the Final Fantasy VII remake, because um, I think that was also yeah, that one came to Epic for a while, didn't it? And then it eventually came to Steam. I think that was actually twelve months after, and I think the the people can people presumed they had twelve months exclusivity with with Sony for that one. What I'm seeing here is April tenth, twenty twenty was PS4 came out a year later on PS5, and then it came to Windows later that same year, December sixteenth. But yeah. they're probably working on the PC version alongside the PS5 version. Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, the idea of it coming anywhere from one, you know, one or so years later, I think is that's the precedent they've established. You know, um, and it's funny because like I know this definitely like was a bit controversial, but I kind of appreciate the transparency here. Like, I I would rather, um. I would rather a studio do that because I think there's so many examples of AAA games that do come out on PC and console day and date and uh, one version doesn't work, right? Like you think of CD Pro- uh, CD Projekt and, and Cyberpunk, like PC version was great, console version was busted. You think of... You often see it the other way around as well. Where I was about the, to say. Where the console version is great and the PC versions are shit poor yep. with like micro stutters and all sorts of mm-hmm. sliders that don't work in the settings. That was a uh, Wolong uh, Dynasty that just came out from yeah. um, uh, ooh, Team Ninja, right? Uh, yeah, they 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 had that problem where the PC was like uh, the PC community was like, great, another busted PC version, like cool. Can't wait for it to be fixed in six months so I can actually play it. Um, yeah, it's got it's got five out of ten on Steam at the moment. PC yeah, and it's like that. that sucks, right? Like, don't don't push it out day and date if it's not going to be good. Like, I'd rather them take the time and and have it launch well. And I mean, the other Final Fantasy games that we saw come to PC, right? The two we just talked about. Um, my memory of those launches is that, the, is that they were solid. Yeah, yeah. Fourteen was not though, right? Wasn't that the one that they like backtracked and? Yeah, but then they made they made good re-released. on it though, right? That yeah. the community around that game is insane. You know, like the people that love that game love that game. Um, so. Oh yeah, was, I know a bunch of people that just binned off World of Warcraft and shifted over to play yeah. that instead. Yeah, so, you know, they, they made good on it, at least. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I, I'm really excited for Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, I think it's, I think it's really going to be one to look out for, um, for me, later this year, at least. So I'm, I'm super excited about it, and I hope that when it does uh, inevitably come to PC, that it's uh, as, as, as good as it can be, right? And, like, if they're going to take their time with that, then cool. But I wonder if the six months yeah. exclusivity is it's going to come to Xbox then. I bet you it's six months and then it comes to Game Pass. That would be wild considering seven remakes not even come to 
like the first part's not come to Xbox yeah. and seemingly is never going to come to Xbox. That's actually exclusive, I think. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah that came to PC, but it never came to never came to Xbox. And like you remember though, that was that was like that came over, but remake never did. That was like revealed at a state of play and everything too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but wasn't part two of seven remake, and it seems like it's only got six months exclusivity. Whether that's a console exclusivity and it's coming to PC or what, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably what they mean. I don't know though. It's interesting. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think about that. Maybe Final Fantasy sixteen is also going to be PlayStation exclusive in that way. Yeah, it's but no, it's only six months. So then why not? No, it's got to be coming to Xbox, right? It's got to be. Unless it's six months, we want it on our platform for six months, and then you can do the PC release. Or put it on cloud services, or maybe, you know, whatever, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in that court case where Sony's got to reveal how much they're paying to lock down everything. God, I can't wait. I can't wait to find out what that number is. <laughs> yeah, it's ju- going to be juicy. For sure. Speaking of juicy, uh, this is uh, a story that I, I feel like we may have talked about it when it, like, very first happened, but we've kind of... Um, yeah, with with developing stories like this, I like to kind of let them happen. Um, but big update this week while we're already talking about Square, so let's let's chat about it. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's co-creator Yuji Naka uh, has admitted now to uh, insider trading while he was working at Square Enix. So this obviously made the headlines like late last year um, when when this initially got dusted up, but now. You know, we're kind of like in the throes of, of the actual case itself. And uh, it seems he's going to plead guilty. Yeah, now he's well and truly fucked is, is what he is. Because he's pleaded guilty for illegally trading um, in two counts, right? For Final Fantasy and, and Dragon Quest. Yeah, right. It was. I think the Dragon Quest thing was the first thing we heard about last year. And I think then the Final Fantasy, that's like a new... A newer piece of information, um, if memory serves me, but it's been a bit. Um, but yeah, so during during his first trial with the Tokyo District Court this week, he admitted to uh, the specific, you know, crime is violating Japan's Financial Instruments and Exchange Act uh, for trading one million dollars in stocks while he was uh, an, an employee. So pretty significant amount of money at that. Um, and this is, uh, a translation, um, of, of his, his statement here. He said, there's no doubt that I knew the facts about the game before it was made public and bought the stock. So very cut and dry on that. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not ideal. Right. And he's, I would imagine there's a bit of a plea deal going on here. I don't know how Japan's, um, legal system works, if it's the same as, as the US or the UK is where you can kind of make a deal, say you plead guilty and they'll give you like a lighter sentence kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or if he's doing it because the evidence is kind of going to bank to rights and it's just like, yep, yeah, I did purchase 10,000 shares prior to announcing a games and <laughs> game. <laughs> like that's pretty clear cut and, cut and dry insider trading that you yeah. had inside information that a game was about to be announced and, and you knew it was going to be a hot property. And so you then bought shit loads of shares in the company that was making it not yeah, good. Yeah. It's funny too. Cause like, I mean, obviously a lot of drama around him lately. Right. Cause so just to give you a quick rundown, if, if you don't remember the details, right. He was arrested twice. Uh, the first was, as you said, with um, dragon quest with, uh, it says prior to developer aiming going public with Dragon Quest tact 
and for purchasing $1 million in shares in A-Team Entertainment prior to the studio going public with Square Enix mobile battle royale game Final Fantasy VII, The First Soldier. Uh, And he was arrested along with uh, Tatsuke uh, Sasaki, I believe is how you'd say that. Apologies if not. Uh, who's a, another former Square Enix employee uh, who had worked on the Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy series. So the two of them got in trouble. And it's funny because that was not the only controversy between him and, and Square Enix, right? There was, uh, he released Ballad Wonderland about, was that last year or two years ago now? Ballad Wonderworld, it got renamed, remember? Wonderworld, sure. Um, but I think it was last year, and it was a mega flop. Huge flop. Another mega flop for Square. That's a surprise. And then he sued them for like wrongful termination for being let go six months before the game was even released. So oh, maybe that's what they meant from their statement by saying that they had done disciplinary action against a former employee. But surely if you knew insider trading was happening at your company and it was a former employee, rather than just firing him, you should have reported it to the police. Right. And that I think that is the interesting wrinkle is was he let go because of this and they thought that the smoke was going to come and they wanted to fire him. Maybe that him. leads to the president being replaced. Maybe he had knowledge of this happening. Who knows? It's it's obviously all speculation, right? But like I I yes, please don't sue us. Sure. Hey, we're just we're just commentators, right? We're just we're saying something that might have happened, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that's it's interesting because that timeline is fairly suspect you know they could be totally unrelated right he could have been let go because the game was shit and they knew it was gonna flop and they were unsatisfied and they didn't want to support his next project right um but eh, i don't know it's like it does it does make you think you know is is, is this a, a situation where that was maybe a smokescreen for them to fire him because of this actual thing that they were trying to get ahead of and and not have um you know, on their doorstep, right? And be able to have that plausible deniability of, oh, well, we weren't involved and we got rid of him and we took disciplinary action. And Okay. Yeah, in, a, in any case, it's not great. And it's yet another piece of bad news and or bad press hitting Square Enix. It just, it seems like they just cannot catch a break lately. I mean, Octopath Traveler 2 has obviously done um, critically well for them. How... How well that's done in terms of sales, I think, is yet to be seen. But yeah, they're not they're not doing great over there at the moment. Yeah, Final I mean, Fantasy seems to be kind of the only feather they've got in their cap right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I by all accounts, I think sixteen will probably deliver. But it's yeah, it feels like um, feels like they're in a really precarious position. You know, yeah. and I know we've talked a lot about the idea of them like potentially getting sold. Um, or, or I guess I should say getting acquired um, at some point. In the- is, any, is anyone really going to want to acquire Square as a company or just the IP to their games at this point? Because I mean, that's the thing, like I think the, you, you, the Final Fantasy team is still good, right? Like, the, the team that works on Final Fantasy fourteen is the same team that's doing Final Fantasy sixteen. That's a solid studio. Um, they have the team that does, uh, you know, the remake stuff. That's been solid. Like... I think that there's a like if somebody did acquire Final Fan or um Final Fantasy, if somebody did acquire Square Enix, that would be the primary motivator. And there is other IP they have that's valuable, but I, I I think they'd clean house probably. Yeah, to your point, I think they'd probably fire a lot of people and keep the three or four teams that are there that are making games that are 
our quality. Well, you want Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, and Kingdom Hearts, probably the three big ones that you want. And then you get the smaller titles, like the Octopath Travelers and the... Like, Octopath uh, is now Triangle. a thriving IP, I would say, right? Like, Bravely Default is, is still does well, you know? Like, I, they have other stuff. But like you said, it's smaller, but... Yeah, that's not... that's not It's not enough for you to buy them no. for those smaller games. You buy it for Final Fantasy, and I could easily see them going down, like, a Konami route where they're just like, okay, Square as a company is no longer going to be making video games. We're going to be making, like... Like an NFTs or whatever, but we're going to spin out all of our IPs and we're going to let other people make them or we're going to sell them off because they've sold off all their Western ones. And it's really strange because they had that, like, it was like it wasn't planned. They had their tie in with Tomb Raider in their pressure wash or power wash simulator game that they publish. It was like a crossover with one of their own IPs, but they don't even own Tomb Raider anymore. Yeah, it's gone now. So it was like, it's like, what? And they've just done another one with Final Fantasy, which seems to be yeah. really great, and it's got like a story mode and stuff. But it's just like, but I bizarre, think, absolutely I, bizarre. I think that's part of it, though. I think it is that they wanted they want to get acquired. I think they want to sell the company, and and I think that when you looked at those Western studios, we talked about this when they got sold. Like they made games that were critically acclaimed, but they never sold well. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they had they had a couple missteps you know games that like undersold even if they were well received and a couple games that were not well received and then they didn't didn't come together the way that they had planned and i think all that together right it was just it was it it was one of those things where if you're trying to clean house and make yourself look more attractive right like i i think that's i think that was the primary motivator there is just that like these things stick out in our portfolio not to mention you know, we've talked a lot about the idea of like Sony acquiring them. You know, I, I like is that stuff. Well, I think that- Sony just was Sony just want the the IP and the studio, and then like the rest of it. It's like see you later. We dissolve all that. We just have the talent. I think that's probably the only way you can go. And some of their stuff, like we've mentioned, like Bravely Default. I don't think they even own it. It was published by Nintendo in the West. It's developed by a company called Silicon Studio. Seems like Square only published it in Japan. Same with I, I um, think, Bravely do they not, Default too. Do they not own Silicon Studio though? I'm I'm pretty sure Bravely Default is No, Silicon Studio is a public company. So I, unless they own that IP, I don't know. It seems like Silicon Studio is a is a publicly trading company in Japan and they've got three products, which is Bravely Default, Bravely Second, and 3D dot game heroes. Hmm, okay. So maybe not then, but I mm, I don't know. My understanding is that they own the IP. Quite possibly. Uh, and, you know, if that's the case, they may. this may be like the argument for selling off the IP, right? Nintendo, do you want the Bravely Default franchise? And we'll sell Final Fantasy to Sony. And Microsoft can have Dragon Quest. And you just sell the games rather than selling yourself. I guess, you sell yeah. The, the IP that you've got, which is what they were basically doing with the Western studios. It's people really want it so they can buy Tomb Raider and do the, yeah. the movie tie-in with don't, Amazon. I don't know, and maybe. I just don't see them doing that with those IP. I think it's different with the Western stuff because the Western stuff were not IPs that they incubated. They were things that they acquired, and the idea of you acquiring something and then selling it because it doesn't fit your portfolio anymore to me makes more sense than the idea of, like, let's sell off the only thing that our, our company is. Right, like yeah, the thing we're known for. Yeah, like at the end of the day, the the Square Enix brand is Final Fantasy, and then the assorted other lesser JRPGs that they also own. You know, um, 
and not even necessarily lesser in quality, but in notoriety, right? Um, what even happens with some of their other stuff these days, like um, the Life is Strange series? Like, do they even make? Are they even going to continue with that? Yeah, is that done? No, I'm sure they will. They didn't. They didn't sell off Deck Nine. They still own the IP. I, again, you know why? Life is Strange is profitable. Tomb Raider was not. That's why we won't get more. You know, from them is that it was they tried to make it a thing for years and it wasn't a thing. Or at least it wasn't enough of a thing. You know, and and I think that's that they don't own they don't own deck 9. They know. they don't own deck 9. Okay. That's, I know they a, they, they definitely a company called Idle Minds LLC is a private company. They might really? own the Final Fantasy Oh, not Final Fantasy. The Life is Strange IP. They, they definitely do. I know that because that was why Don't Nod moved on from it, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. if if you'll recall, a couple years ago, uh, that was the the story, right? After Life is Strange two, they basically, uh, they announced that they were going to no longer work with publishers. They took a minor investment from Tencent, and then their goal was to just self publish all of their games from then on. Um. But yeah, so I guess Deck Nine is just the studio that they're outsourcing it to because they got involved with that the prequel during the um there was like a period where they wanted to follow up on the success of Life is Strange mm-hmm. and you know Deck uh don't not yeah. wanted more time to do something else because uh, Deck Nine's working on the Expanse game with Telltale at the moment um not not with Square no yeah yeah they they said that they would they're not doing that anymore mm-hmm. um. So yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens with Square. I think you probably could be right about an acquisition, um, and just like aligning themselves for it. And who knows what all of the other smokes about, like the insider trading, the president leaving, the luminous productions failing. It's just yeah, so it's not a very good look from the outside. No, it's funny because like we've been talking about the struggles with Ubisoft and I feel like it's like similar where it's like they're this studio where it's like they have one or two things that like prop up the rest of it. But I think they're in a much better position because they still make games that are good that are not Final Fantasy, right? Octopath obviously was just a big a big success. Um, So I think I think they they have a, a farm of talent that is definitely, you know, still good. You know, I think like there's been bad business decisions. There have been a few, you know, public missteps. But um, I think when you release as many games as Square does, like they, they're not all going to be bangers, I guess, right? Like, like companies have failures. That happens. That doesn't mean that they're, you know, up shit's creek. But I think with the the market and the the like reality we're in now with this acquisition happy, you know, um, era. I wouldn't be surprised to see them get gobbled up by somebody bigger or maybe to do what they did to become Square Enix in the first place, right? Square and Enix used to be two independent studios and they came together to form Square Enix. Maybe that could happen. Maybe they could merge with a Sega or a Capcom or something like that and that's the way that these mid-sized companies weather the storm, right? And they, they between the strength of a Final Fantasy and a Monster Hunter and whatever, right? Um, a Persona, a, a Sonic the Hedgehog, like you're able to to remain independent and carve out a niche um, where you have enough hits that it doesn't matter, you know? I th- but something's got to happen, I think. I think for the idea that they're going to continue as they are um, without some major changes to how they're operating, I think, just seems unlikely. Agreed. 
Well, if you guys want to write in and let us know what you think about everything going on at Square Enix or your excitement for IO Interactive's new game or whatever else we talk, Xbox Series S, right? Talked about a lot of stuff today, man. Lots, lots of news. The news, news hits keep coming this week. Um, definitely make sure you write into the show because we'd love to hear from you. There's a bunch of ways you can get involved. Join the Discord where the conversation keeps rolling between episodes. Write into us at questions at flipscreen.games. However you choose to get involved, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to read your question on the next episode of the show. Uh, so come hang out. Come join us. Flipscreen.games. That's the link. However you choose to get involved, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode of the show. And uh, for the crew, I've been Pete. He's been Steve. We'll see you next week.